Glad that you're with us tonight. We have a good crowd. Lots of you here tonight. That's good. Some of you, as Clayton said, are in the sun tonight. Sorry about that. And we used to have sunglasses that we'd give out to people, and there are probably some still around here you can use. The problem is they were like 75-cent sunglasses, and uh, they were so, so scratchy and dark you couldn't see a thing. So we're glad you're with us tonight. We continue on tonight with our, with our thoughts about finding God in the lyrics because, uh, what, as I say every week, what I want you to do when you listen to the radio is I want you to listen in a way that's different than just listening to music. I don't want you to set your radio or, or the music you listen to on, on, on your phone or whatever. I don't want it to be that you somehow put your church life, your God life, your Christian life aside but somehow it is permeating everything we do. So I do these songs every week because of that, trying to help us see God in various ways. Now, finding music that we all listen to is kind of hard to do. But tonight, we're looking at one from the 90s, from 1994, a number one hit, Something in the Water by Carrie Underwood. And some of you say, oh, I know that song. It's one of my favorites. And others of you are going, I have never heard of that in my life. Carrie Underwood grew up probably less than 100 miles from Clayton, is what I'm guessing. Probably pretty close to that, right? 20 miles from Clayton. Okay, they dated in Kyle in high school. No, I just made that up. I made that part up, okay. But this song is a powerful song. It's written by Carrie Underwood and by, by another man. It was written for the purpose to be a country song, but then the Christian chart took it over, and it was number one on both. And it is truly about a man being baptized. And so how could we think it, how could we do a series like this and not use a number one song that was on a secular chart about baptism? Matter of fact, everyone from the Rolling Stones said, what an incredible song this is and how emotional it makes me whenever I hear it. I wish you could hear it tonight, but we can't. You can listen to it at home on your way home. But here are the words. He said, I've been where you've been before, down every hallway's a slamming door. No way out, no one to come and save me, wasting a life that the good Lord gave you. Then somebody said what I'm saying to you, opened, opened my eyes and told me the truth. He said, just a little faith and it'll all get better. So I followed that preacher man down to the river and now I'm changed and now I'm stronger. There must have been something in the water. Oh, there must have been something in the water. Well, I heard what he said, and I went on my way, didn't think about it for a couple of days. Then it hit me like a lightning late one night. I was all out of hope and all out of fight and couldn't fight back my tears, so I fell on my knees saying, God, if you're there, come and rescue me. Felt a pouring down from above, got washed in the water, washed in the blood, and now I'm changed, and now I'm stronger. There must be something in the water. Something in the water. Well, tonight, as we think about this song, baptism does have the power to change us. But it is not the water, right? It is not the water itself. You can use whatever kind of water that, that you want to use to be baptized. This may be a refresher for some of you. I know a lot of folks watch online as well. And so this may be something new, maybe something that can help someone or help you to share with someone else. 
The water can be anything. I remember when I was in college and, and uh, Otis Gatewood and Bob Hare, who had been two great missionaries behind the Iron Curtain, used to come to Oklahoma Christian and speak in chapel. And I remember Otis Gatewood or Bob Hare, one of the other, I remember telling a story about in Eastern Europe before when communism was still strong and there being this huge mud puddle on this side road and nobody was around and they baptized people down in this big hole in the middle of the road. Well, it was just muddy water, but there was something powerful about what was happening. There was another man who came and spoke to us one night in a summer series years ago from, uh, oh, I just lost his name, from Enid, Oklahoma, and told a story about when he was a prisoner and he was in jail. And he realized on his own that he needed to be immersed into Christ and that, that they stopped the drain up in the shower and then made little walls on the side and one person watched out for the guards to come and literally he was immersed in this shower. That it's not about the water itself that is so powerful. What is powerful is the Lord who's there in that moment. There is something about the water, but more importantly, there is something about the Lord. And so there's a lot I think we can learn from this idea and this concept. And so we go back to one of kind of one of the basic scriptures we talk about when we think about, about baptism to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. And it's all of Acts 2, really, really. And it's the first day Jesus had died. 50 days before this, been resurrected. The apostles had waited for Jesus and, and, and had been with the, with, with the apostles for 40 days, and then they waited seven days. And so now on that day of Pentecost, whenever, whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and they stand up and preach, and pre Peter preaches this great sermon, he ends with this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Well, that's a powerful passage. Sometimes we've read it so much it lo loses its power because we're so familiar with it. But they stopped the sermon. There was no, at the end, come as we stand and sing. There wasn't any of that. They stopped the sermon. They yell out from the crowd, brothers, what shall we do? We know we're, we're guilty. We are convicted that we have killed Jesus through our sin, whether physically or what we were, how we sinned against him. We know we've done that. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter gives this answer, repent. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, these people have faith. It's really easy to see there because, because of the whole reason that they cry out in the middle of the sermon. And so he tells them what to do. But as you see this whole thing about baptism here, notice something that I read a writer probably 30 years ago say, no one asked what kind of baptism no one said are you talking about immersion you go all the way under 
Incidentally, two, two of our young people were baptized today. Are you talking about immersion? Are you talking about sprinkling? Or are you talking about pouring? Because all those in our language are called baptism. And so no one said on that day, which baptism are you wanting me to be sprinkled, immersed, or poured on? Well, you know why they didn't ask that question? Because there was only one way to do it. The word only meant one thing. It meant immersion. Literally, and you can look this up, and, and if, if you go to like BibleHub.com, you can see this, for example, and look under the definition of what a baptism means. It means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. I remember hearing Dino Russo years ago, who's a missionary in Greece. He is Greek. And I remember him talking about this word baptize. And he said that the women up in the mountains in Greece where, where there wasn't electricity and they would wash their clothes, they would take their clothes to the, to the river. And guess what they would say that they were doing to their clothes? They were baptizing their clothes because they were immersing their clothes. This is what it always meant. It wasn't until later that we came up with other definitions for the word. It was always to immerse. And so, because of that, on that day, 3,000 people are baptized, or about 3,000. Now, some of this isn't on your screen tonight, because you've heard me say it, some of you have before, but let me explain this for just a moment for us. So, if a person were to come in tonight and tell you something you had never heard of before, I mean, to tell you to do something, okay, we're going we're gonna to jump sticks, you'd say, what does it mean to jump sticks? What does that mean? He would be some. you would... Like, what's that, right? So when Peter says, repent and be baptized, they all got it. Do you know why? Because they knew what baptism was. Because of this thing in Judaism called the mikvah, that whenever they would go into the holy city of what they called Jerusalem, they'd call the holy city, and whenever they would come into the city and they were a pilgrim coming from another place for a festival, whenever they would get to the city walls, they would go inside and they would literally walk down into this thing called a mikvah. We would call a baptistry. It had running water. had to have 198 gallons of water to be official. Do you know why that is? Because it had to be deep enough to immerse. And they would literally, they would take off their clothes. They would do this. Men would have, would have a mikvah and women would have a mikvah. And so they would go down all the way under and they would baptize, as we would say, themselves. They would immerse themselves. And then when it was time to go worship in the temple, guess what they did when they got to the temple? They would do it again so that they would be holy whenever they went into the temple. They would be pure. Not too long ago, and, and they would do this on their wedding day. A, a bride would do this on the wedding day. The priest will do this on Yom Kippur four times, for example. Not long ago, I was watching a, a movie. It was a Jewish movie with subtitles. And so they were going to have, the bride was going to get married. And I thought, okay, are they going to have the mikvah or not? Are they gonna, is this going to be, is this going to be accurate? Sure enough, they had it. I said, okay, this is a good movie. It's, gonna, it's what it's supposed to be. But they did that. Still today, they do that in order to be pure. And so on that day, when Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, they understand what it means. Years ago, I was studying with a man, and he says, oh, come on, David, there's no way that there would be enough water in a dry country like Israel to baptize 3,000 people. That would be completely impossible. 
I had no answer for that except, except said, well, you need to have faith. I had no answer. But you know what I found out since then? There have been more than 70 mikvahs, these tanks for 198 gallons of water, more than 70 of them discovered on the Temple Mount itself. That it would have been easy in just an hour or two, maybe even less, to baptize 3,000 people. Not hard at all to do because it was all part of Judaism. But what's happening is Jesus is doing, or, or, or God is doing what he seems to always do. He takes an event that they already understood and he changes the meaning of the event. For example, with the Passover. You remember the Passover. You were to remember whenever you came out of Israel and no leaven in the bread because you're remembering how you were to hurry on that night. And you, and you remember the blood and the blood that was over the doorpost. And Jesus took those things, an event that they already knew, and he says, now whenever you eat this bread, you're not remembering back in Egypt, you're going to remember my, my body. And now whenever you take that cup, you're not going to remember back to the blood that was over the doorpost, you're going to remember my blood. He takes what they knew, and then he gives it added emphasis or added strength. In some ways, you might even say he completely changes the meaning of it. So I want you to notice the benefits of baptism just from this passage. And this could go on forever and ever and ever, but I'm not going to make you do that tonight. So I was hoping you all would say preach on, but you didn't. So <laughs> there you go. There is a connection to Jesus. What was different in the mikvah was Jesus was not a part of that. They were doing that as far as God was concerned and wanting to be pure before God. But when Peter says, repent and be baptized, he changes the significance of what is happening in the same water that they had been baptized in whenever they walked into the temple. He changes the meaning of it when he says, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ. This is what's completely different. This is what would have been a problem, say, to the high priest, to Caiaphas and Annas and the Pharisees. This is where the problem comes. They wouldn't have cared if those people would have gone in the mikvah before. They would have been thrilled with that because they were doing that. But what changes it is when it's in the name of Jesus Christ. And now not only is it in the name of Jesus Christ, it is also for the forgiveness of sins. Not that somehow the sins stay in the water. That's not what happens. It's that God obliterates the sin. It's that God is working at that moment in such an incredible way. The sins are forgiven. And then he says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you're able to speak in tongues. It doesn't mean that you're able to heal people. What it means is God now lives in us. You now have the help of the Holy Spirit. And so whenever you get over to like the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, and says that we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us, that's something special that we have received through our relationship with Christ. It's this incredible connection to Christ that comes in baptism. This is important stuff. This is what we might call a little bit theological. Now, I want you to notice the imagery. And we could do a lot of these, but I just picked a couple of them and maybe some that are the, the clearest and maybe some that you already know. But Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 8, 
This is Paul writing to the, to the church in Rome. People who have already been baptized. And he's writing to these Christians, and this is what he says. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we certainly also will be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Do you see all this imagery of what is happening in baptism? So he says, don't you know that we were baptized into his death? What baptism is, is death, burial, and resurrection. And so when we go into the water, what we're showing is we're dying, we're being buried, and we are being resurrected with Jesus. You see that part is so powerful. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. Now listen to this part. For if we have been united with him like this, like what? Like in baptism, through his death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see that? So if I have been baptized into Christ, dying to myself, dying with Christ and being raised with him, then there is an incredible blessing that comes in Jesus through that. Now, this is an interesting concept because in Churches of Christ, we've held to this for years, and there have been groups that have disagreed with us, and still most groups disagree with us, but guess what? There are tons and tons of scholars that are starting to turn this way to say, oh, maybe we missed that, or maybe we need to refine what we said before. Not too long ago, I was reading a book by an author, and, and I just I was reading about baptism. I was reading about Romans, and I thought, wow, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then I thought, I don't know this guy. And then I realized he's not from Churches of Christ, but boy, he sounds like he is. Because they're coming to see something so incredible here. I want you to also see the imagery of Colossians 2, 9 through 14. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority in him. You also were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised circumcised by Christ. I've got to see it up here because it's off the screen that I have. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is powerful stuff. 
He's saying, do you see, when, when a person was considered, a male, was considered to be truly an Israelite, was through their circumcision. And he says, it is through your baptism that, that this becomes so, that you become one in Christ, that you become with him. So I want you to see here some of the things he says. In baptism, you are dying to sin. It's what he says in Romans. It's what he says in Colossians. You are dying to sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't necessarily sin again because we all sin, but the blood of Jesus keeps washing us after we find that. That's 1 John chapter 1. We are buried with Christ. What I'm saying when I'm baptized into Christ is I am done with this life that is against him. And any life that is not for him is against him. And he said, well, wait, isn't that kind of a hard thing to say about someone? Because, you know, I know so-and-so, and, -so and they're, not, they're not against Christ. They're not a Christian, but they're not against Christ. Jesus says, not me, but Jesus says, you are either for me or you are against me. No man or woman can serve two masters. It is one way or the other. Now, this is really politically incorrect to say because we live in a world where everything is okay. But in Jesus' world, everything is not okay. You are either for me or you are against me. There is no neutral ground. You cannot be a Christian Switzerland. There is no neutral place to be. It is one or the other. We are raised to life. What is happening in our, in our faith is we are being raised to be with Jesus. We are forgiven of all those things. We may still pay for what we have done wrong. If you, if you rob the grocery store, you'll still have to go to jail for those things. But as far as God is concerned, you are free from those things when we are baptized into Christ. I love this imagery of what is happening in Jesus whenever I'm baptized and I'm fully immersed in Jesus, I, in, in baptism, I am being engulfed in Christ. I love that idea. You know, often people will say, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Well, there is a concept that Jesus is in our hearts. But there is also the concept of am I in Jesus's heart? This is one last verse I want to share with you here. It's Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. Sometimes I read this at baptisms. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Faith is extremely important. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Do you see this concept of what he's saying here? When I'm baptized into Christ, when I go into the water, I am being clothed with him. I am being engulfed in him. Some of, you, some of your versions say put on Christ. It's the idea that I am completely going down in and I am coming up looking differently than I did before. To human eyes, I look the same. But spiritually, I look like something completely different and something much better. Because all of the, of the irritants are gone and what is pure has been left. And, and been restored to me. So in Christ, we are children through, of God through faith. And it is in baptism 
that now I, become, I go inside of Jesus' heart because I am clothed with him. He's not just on the inside of me. He's on the outside of me. That's the place I want to be because I want to be with Christ. And so, and, and some of this I've said before, but I'm going to say it tonight for those who maybe haven't thought about this before. But sometimes I get so afraid whenever I think about judgment. And if you grew up the way I did, we heard a lot about judgment. We talked a lot about judgment. Maybe we ought to talk about it more sometimes than we do today. But, you know, I go before the judge, and I'm scared to death because I'm walking before the judge. And so now on the final day, when I go before the judge, and I say, Lord, I am so sinful. I am so pathetic. I can't even imagine all the things I've done wrong. We could just start counting. And he says, no, I'm not. And you're like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. He says, no, I'm not pathetic. No, I'm clean. Because you know who the judge is? The judge is the one I'm wearing because Jesus judges. And now I stand there wearing Jesus. And Jesus sees Jesus. Jesus who is pure and holy and the sacrifice for the world who judges. is It's like he's looking in a mirror. And he says, you are saved. Well, I know what I've done wrong. He says, I have wiped those things away. I have obliterated those things. You are saved. I cannot wait for that day. I won't have to worry about anything. And, and you know, when I started understanding this concept, my life got a lot easier. Because I started realizing how much I was loved by Jesus. And how much he wants me to be with him. And that he keeps washing me through what I have done and what he's done in my baptism. So here's my question for us tonight. Am I in Jesus? Am I in Jesus? You saw that last slide that I skipped over, but I'll let you go back to it because it's important here at this point. This is not about a ritual. It's about faith. This is not about saying, well, I'm 12 years old and it's my birthday and so I'm going to be baptized. You might have been baptized when you're 12 years old on your birthday and that's great. But this is not some rite of passage. This is about being in Jesus. Am I in Jesus? This is about saying, I want to follow Jesus with all of my heart. I want to put him first with all of my heart. He takes away the sin, but what I'm doing is making a commitment. Not one that I will always hold as perfectly as I, as I should. But I want to be in Jesus, and that's the declaration that we make in our baptism. So tonight, if you want to be baptized into Christ, if you're watching us online, you want to be baptized into Christ, let us know it. Write it on the screen there or write to elders at mcoc.org or call me. For those here, come forward tonight as we stand and sing.